must have been on the Passover. I mean, it was awesome in one sense and horrific in the other. If you didn't have the blood over your house, it was a horrible event. But if you had the blood over your house, what a moment of salvation. A moment of God's magnificent power protecting you. Hallelujah. So we have the precious blood of Jesus. And I've heard so many testimonies of people that have taken that in prayer and they've declared the blood of Jesus over their workplace, um, over their land. I remember one minister, uh, he had an orange, uh, what do you call it? What would be a, a vine- not a vineyard, but an, um, an orange orchard? Is that how? Orchard, okay. So he had an orange orchard in Florida and a frost was coming in. And they were telling everybody, you know, this is a bad one. It, you're your fruit's going to be wiped out. And so he got in prayer and started praying. And the Lord led him to, to put a bloodline, if you will, around his whole entire property. And the next day, not one of his oranges froze and was destroyed. As a matter of fact, he went to the edge of his property and he could see the frost line and it stopped right at the border of his property. Praise God for the blood of Jesus. Amen. So you've got family members, loved ones, you're praying for them. You've got places where God has put you. Just put, just plead the blood of Jesus over those areas. Because the Bible does say that his blood speaks even today. I don't know how, but it speaks. And it calls out salvation, it calls out redemption, it calls out holiness, it calls out protection. Praise God. Amen. Thank the Lord for the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. We'll greet one of your blood-bought brothers or sisters in the Lord. (laughs) Greet them all. nightmares and I had a friend who said we're going to walk the bloodline of your house and anoint every doorway we did that I've never had any nightmares again praise God praise God hallelujah amen that's power in the blood of Jesus amen hallelujah you know the um there was something that I kind of wrestled with. Um, the Bible says that through the blood of Jesus, he's redeemed us from the curse of the law. Have you ever read that? But then I've heard people say in prayer that when there's certain bad things happening consistently, like a pattern, that it might be a generational curse or some type of curse that needs to be broken. Have you ever heard of that? And I've wrestled with that because he redeemed us from all the curses, right? And I couldn't quite put the two together to make it make sense to wrap my head around it. Because how could a a curse carry over if we've already been redeemed, the blood of Jesus has already washed that and removed that from our life, right? I couldn't quite 
incorporate the two to understand it. But today, it just seemed like the Lord showed me how that works. Now, the Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. So he's always trying to come up with some type of an accusation. He, he, he's, a, he, he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So he's on the prowl. And he's always looking and trying to evaluate and see where people are at because the Bible talks about putting on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand strong against the wiles of the devil. So it's not so much that his power because he's already defeated, but he's got to use some type of crafty, trickery, subtleness that he can kind of work and maneuver and manipulate to get into our life. Paul said this, he says, we are not ignorant of his devices lest the devil could take advantage over us. So if you reverse that, if we become ignorant of his devices, then he can take advantage of us. But if we're not ignorant of that, then he can't take advantage of us. So he's looking and he's seeing, and he's throwing little thoughts, little fiery darts, and he's trying to get certain things and certain images and certain suggestions into our mind to see if we're going to take that. And if we take it, that allows uh, a curse to come. And, and, and let me ask this question, because I, the Bible says no temptation takes you except what is common to man. When, when something bad happens to you unexpectedly, do you ever deal with thoughts that come in and say, like, this always happens? Or never fails. Two steps. You take one step forward and get and end up going two steps backwards. Of course, the world always throws out Murphy's Law. Whatever can go wrong will go wrong, right? So when you're going through something and it hits you kind of hard, is there a thought, is there a feeling, is there a suggestion that kind of comes with that? To say, well, this is just, you know, your thorn in the flesh that you're going to have to deal with in your journey and your walk with the Lord. Have, has anybody ever kind of felt that in the midst of a, an attack? And see, the enemy's trying to use the attack, but he's also trying to allow that attack to somehow have a perpetual attack, an open door. Doesn't the Bible say, give no place to the devil? So it wouldn't say that if there wasn't a way that we could actually do that. So there's a way that we can do that. And he's trying to throw something at us. He's trying to impact us, shake us a bit, so he can put some thoughts in there, put some images in there that would give him an opportunity to come back again and again. And again. And so, and, and what's interesting is the Bible talks about evil spirits, in the, mainly in the Old Testament, it calls them familiar spirits. Have you ever heard that before? So these spirit, spirits have a tendency to kind of be familiar with people's family bloodlines and genealogies and so forth. And that's how fortune tellers, you know, when they say, well, we're going to bring back a great grandma from the dead. Well, they're not. It's just a familiar spirit that knew great grandma, you know, 20, 40, 60 years ago or 100 years ago and could bring that information and speak through that person. And all of a sudden they say something. And it's like, oh, it's got to be them because who else would have known that great-grandma lived in this town or had this person or whatever. But it's just a familiar spirit. 
So they operate that way. They, they try to familiarize themselves. They try to find tendencies and weaknesses and patterns and so forth. And they try to create that. And so even though you're redeemed from the curse, and there's really legally no curse that has any authority over you, but yet if there's something that you are accepting, a thought, an image, that is something that's from the enemy, then that activates a curse. And you have to find that, you have to renounce that, and you have to apply the blood of Jesus. And then that's it. It's done. But a lot of times people don't know that. As a matter of fact, in, in Timothy, Paul said, you know, in meekness, um, instruct those who oppose themselves. So if I'm up here with a fork and I'm stabbing myself in the side and I've got pain in my side and I say, man, I just always have this pain in my side, what am I doing? I'm opposing myself. So what you would have to do and, and, and love is say, hey, you know, maybe, you gotta stop. <laughs> maybe take that fork out of your hand, let go of the fork. Here, let me give you a pillow. Oh, yeah, that feels better. <laughs> but it says in meekness instruct those who oppose themselves and the reason why you have to use meekness is sometimes because it's, it's hard for people to come to reality and accept certain things about themselves it's hard sometimes because they have defense they can be defensive have you ever tried to correct somebody have you ever tried to get someplace with somebody and they're they won't, no, no, no. They don't want to go there. They don't want to hear you because they're okay. They're doing things right. But if they can see what you're saying is true, as it says in 2 Timothy 2.25, it says what happens is they can acknowledge the truth and recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Interesting it used the word snare, right? Like a snare is a trap. Like when you fall into this thing, you're kind of stuck in it, and you're always fighting with it. And you're, you, you know, kind of like a, a bear who gets stuck in a bear trap, you know? I mean, that's any animal, right? And so it shows here that a person can oppose themselves out of a, and get themselves in a snare, but just by getting into acknowledging the truth, they can repent, recover themselves, and break that snare off of their life. Amen? Tonight we're going to talk about being a living sacrifice. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. And it's, sacrifices is something that you and I don't necessarily relate to because we haven't grown up in that environment, that culture. Uh, they could understand this a little bit more because they were used to every, you know, they were offering sacrifices all the time. And uh, interesting, when you, when you look at the sacrifice, you know, the picture a lot of people have is, you know, they take the animal, they throw them on the altar, priest takes a knife, and... But it's really more detailed and more involved. If you ever read Leviticus and you read about what they do, it's kind of gory, actually. I mean, they're, they're cutting that thing apart every which way, you know, and they've got parts of it that they're going to boil and eat, the priests are actually going to eat it. It's food for them. Then there's some parts where that's going, that's just going to get burnt right up on the altar. And then there's some parts, like the hide and, and kind of the, the, the innards, if you will, the guts, they put that all together in one and they take it outside the camp and they burn it out there. So it's kind of interesting how they 
they really dissected the, the sacrifice. Um, and so, and all of it has a significance, a, a spiritual type and shadow. But Paul says here, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves, set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. Now, I'm reading out of the Amplified, and it really beefs it up. But he's saying to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So what's interesting is this offering of the body of a living sacrifice, you know, as being a living sacrifice, the challenge that we have is that we can crawl off the altar just as we can crawl onto the altar. So being a living sacrifice really means it's a will. An animal that's being sacrificed, you know, it was just, you know, a bad day. I was a, I was a good animal. I was a perfect uh, best animal in, in the pen. And, uh, you know, it was an unlucky day for me. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Good, good. No, no, not, not at all. A man wearing a shirt that says real love, that's good. There you go. So our challenge is we're living sacrifices. And we'll talk a little bit about that, but our will is so important in this. But Paul says, you know, he starts out here saying, therefore. And it's interesting because he's leading into Romans 12 from Romans 11. And in Romans chapter 11, he's really giving a, a, a quite an expose of, you know, he's talking to these Romans, these Gentiles, and he's saying, listen, I know you're all happy and you're excited that you're part of this covenant and part of the, the blessing and, and God's working in your life and you can know who God is, but let me tell you something. That's because God grafted you in. You weren't originally in the plan. There was these other people in the plan called the Jews, but they rebelled. They were in unbelief. They didn't listen, and so they got cut off, but you being a wild olive branch were grafted in to the vine, and with you being grafted into the vine, now you can be a part of this blessing, of this covenant. So don't get high-minded is kind of what he's telling them in Romans 11. Don't think you're something special. Don't think you're just, everything's just automatic now and you can just coast. There's things you got to do. And that's what segues into Romans chapter 12. Now it's interesting that he is beseeching them from the mercy of God. From the mercy of God. The mercy of God. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. You know, we the thing that kind of hinders people from appreciating and understanding salvation is they don't understand the holiness of God. You know, when you, you know, God was, he's so long-suffering, and he's so holy, and he's so righteous. And when he was dealing with, you know, here he made man, and it wasn't very long. All of a sudden, it just, you know, it grieved him that he made man. Wickedness and violence filled the whole earth. And that's why he, you know, he, he chose Noah because he was a righteous man. And uh, he had him build an ark. And, he, and just think, it was like 100 years to build that thing. And so for 100 years, every day when Noah was out there building that ark, God was preaching through that to the people that something's going to happen and you guys need to repent. 
Now, the, you know, they could have repented at any time. Even the day before, they could have fell on their knees and said, Noah, we, we, we realize that we're sinning before God. And that could have stopped it. Could have stopped it. But they didn't. And then here God does a great work with the children of Israel. He gets them out of Egypt. He shows him all his mighty wonders. And then uh, he takes Moses for a 40-day uh, fast and fellowship. And Moses is gone. And the people are kind of, you know, after all of this that they've seen, they just go just way off the deep end. They're like, well, where's Moses? And, and, and we need a God to lead us. And, and what do we do? We have nobody here. We don't have Moses. We don't have God. Everything's kind of quiet. Everything, nothing's going on. And so they go after Aaron and they say, make us a golden calf. And Aaron, you know, he, he, he should have stood his ground, but he didn't. He makes a golden calf and they just have a, yeah. And it's just bad. And so Moses is up there with God, and they're having a good time. And God says, Moses, I, the people are doing bad right now. They made idols or worshiping other idols. And uh, I'm just going to have to, I'm just going to have to kill them all. <laughs> and Moses is like, you know, pleading with God. No, don't do it. Don't do it. You know, it's not going to, you're going to hurt your own reputation, yada, yada. But see, God's in his holiness. You know, I mean, it, he, it was just such an offense to him. And, and he could have destroyed them. And he could have just, and he wanted just to say, Moses, I'm going to start this all over with you. I'll just, you know, tweak a few things in your body, give you a little extra life, and uh, we'll just start a whole new race of people with you. But you think about the holiness of God, how he could have just destroyed all of them. And, but yet he was so patient. He was so merciful. And so Paul is saying, out of this mercy, I'm beseeching you. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you are saved. And he doesn't stop there. He says, and he's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that's not of yourself. It's a gift from God, and it's not of works, lest any man should boast. And so here, all of us, we were just on the thinnest of ice when you think about it. You know, when I look over my life before I got saved, I mean, there was things I did, there were stuff that I put in my body that could have killed me. There were people I hung around with that, you know, I could have died in many times. One of my friends who we used to party together, he was coming home. He's driving down his street. He's drunk. He goes into the ditch. And these ditches were deep. They were probably a good four feet deep. There were these... And then, and then the driveway was like a cement wall, and he was flying, and he went right in the ditch, hit that wall, and died right there on the street he lived on. Another guy was driving his car drunk out in you know, West Bend, and they don't have necessarily the, the, the arms that come down for trains. 
you know, they just have the little flashing light, and he just went barreling right into a train. That was it. And I had friends that died of overdose or died of suicide, and I'm thinking, God, you, you saved me. I mean, I could have been one of them. I remember, uh, remember uh, we were on a, on a river, and we lived on the river, and they were bringing the canoe in the river, and the canoe got away from me. And so I dove in to, to get the canoe, and I hit a rock right in my head. And I was under the water, and my whole body was tingling, and I thought I was paralyzed. And all of a sudden, I got strength in my legs, and I got up out of the water, and I'm coming to my friends, and I'm going, I'm paralyzed. I'm paralyzed. <laughs> and they're like, no, you're, you're not paralyzed. You're walking. <laughs> but that could have been the end. I mean, there's so many times where it could have been the end, right? But God saved us. He had mercy on us. He was there for us. And not only does he save us, but now he elevates us into a place. You know, he didn't like, oh, I saved you, now get out of here, get out of my face. But he put us in a place, seated with him in heavenly places. I mean, we're right there with him. We have an authority from him. We have a position from him. Seated with him in heavenly places. And not only that, but then he's going to show off. You know, how you have something in your life you really value, you really treasure. Well, what do you want to do? You want to show it off, right? Look what I got. Or maybe one of your kids does something great. What do you want to do? You want to tell everybody. My so-and-so, they did this. They cleaned the whole house. They made dinner. They did whatever. And you're all, you know, excited and so God, what he's going to do is he's going to show us off in the ages to come and say, look, look what I did. Look how I worked. Look how I helped the, their lives. Look how I blessed them. And that's a perpetual thing. And that's actually going on right now. And that's what God wants to do. And then he goes on to say in here that we're saved by grace so that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to get into. So God's got a special projects, if you will, special things for us to do. And so he has, in his mercy... Paul is saying, I'm beseeching you and of the mercy of God. Because of his mercy, he offers all these things, and they're already yours as a believer. They've already been given to you. They're already promised to you. But I'm beseeching you because there's something that's very important that you have to do in order to walk in this, and that is you have to present your body as a living sacrifice. He goes on in the verse 2, Romans 12, 2, talks about be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He didn't start out with that first. That was second. You know, sometimes people are trying to, trying to change their, their lives, trying to change things, trying to get better, trying to do this, trying to do that, trying to make improvements, but they're forgetting Romans 1, offering their body as a living sacrifice. See, that offering of our body, it really puts us in a place where we give it all to God, right? We, we open up everything. You know, just as those sacrifices, like I said, they had to cut those things up into so many pieces and have all of them had certain purposes. Well, as we offer ourselves to God, what are we doing? We're allowing God to get into some areas that maybe we kind of put a wall up, kind of put a barrier up, kind of put a, a no. Like, God, I'll, I'll do this. But there's no way I'm going to do that. 
You know, as a young Christian, I had a heart's desire to be an evangelist, wanted to be an evangelist. So I, I've drawn to Chris, who goes out and, and shares the gospel in the mall, because that was something, that was a, a passion. And, and I hooked up with Pastor Ted, and he goes out with tent meetings, and he sets up a tent in a park, and they do evangelism. And I wanted to be a part of that. That was one of the things that drew me to say, I'm going to hook up with this guy and, and, and serve in his ministry. So things are going along. Pastor Ted and I, we went out to uh, UWM College together. We handed out tracts, you know, tried to reach out. We did some stuff. We did some tent meetings. And everything's going good. One day my wife looks at me and she says, you know, Nick, I, I really believe you need to be in children's ministry. Oh, yeah, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. We don't go. <laughs> Kids, me, teaching them, classroom full of them. That was, uh, that was, that was a no. But then God began to speak that. What am I going to do with that? Well, I had to go to the altar. I had to get up on the altar. Okay, God, I'm going to go on the altar. All right. <laughs> I don't know if I should climb on it. <laughs> so I started putting myself on that altar. Lord, I'm a living sacrifice. Is this what you want? If it's what you want, Lord, then I'm willing to do it. You just got to put it in my heart. Well, one thing led to another, and... Went in to help out, did a little bit in there, and I'm like, oh, this isn't so bad. This is, this is actually, uh, actually kind of cool, teaching these kids. Started doing that, and then about a year into it, I'm thinking, I'm praying, and all of a sudden the Lord's like, well, I think it's time for you to head up the children's ministry. Oh, okay, let me get back on the altar again. I got to offer myself... Get back on the altar. Okay, God. And that was, and then I went to church on Wednesday night, and I said, Pastor Ted, I said, I, I know we have somebody that heads up the children's ministry, but if they decide they don't want to do it anymore, if they feel like it's time for them to let go of it, just want to let you know that I'd be willing to head it up. Again, that was on a Wednesday night. Thursday night was worship practice. One of the people in the worship team was the, the children's ministry coordinator. So after the worship practice, she said, Pastor Ted, you got a minute? She says, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like I need to let go of children's ministry. <laughs> if there's anybody else out there that's interested in it, feel free to, you know, go in that direction. <laughs> but see that, and then that turned out to be just such a blessing for me, and it, it helped me to... To be able to minister more, it helped me to help these kids, and a lot of these kids are now serving the Lord, and and uh, it was just a great blessing, and God just used it in so many different ways, and it was just a, uh, and it was a lot of fun, it was a good time, and a lot of joy that came in it, you know, um, one of the things when you do give your life as a sacrifice, it says in um, in um, Philippians 2.17, Paul said this in Philippians 2.17. He said, but even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith for preaching the message of salvation, still I rejoice and I share my joy with you. So there was a joy. There was something about it. That when you do put yourself in a place of sacrifice, when you get past the initial resistance of the flesh and you submit and then you step into it, there's a joy that comes. A joy that you don't experience. And you know, it says in, in Romans 12, 1, it says when you offer your body as a living sacrifice, it is a form of worship. It's a form of worship. You know, when Jesus was here, 
it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5 through 7, it says, Therefore, when Christ enters the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired. In other words, even though God required this in the Levitical priesthood, it wasn't exactly what he was looking for. It was really, that was a more of a type and shadow of what was going to happen spiritually in the New Covenant. But it was something that he had to put there to kind of train them, to kind of gear their mind, to kind of uh, get them acclimated to a certain, at least the shadow of what he wanted. But it wasn't the true image. So here it says that they were not God was not necessarily looking for a sacrifice offering, but it goes on to say, but instead you have prepared a body for me to offer. And in burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, you take no delight. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, to fulfill what is written of me in the scroll of the book. So what does that mean? The sacrifice that God was really looking for was somebody willing to do his will. Somebody willing to take their body and give it to God. You know, each one of us, there's, there's like a book for our life. God has a, a book, and he wants us to do certain things. And, but he's not going to force that on us. It takes, a t it takes, you know, we have to yield. We have to be willing to become that sacrifice. But if we become that sacrifice, if we yield that way and allow God to then have freedom to work, we can begin to fall in line with the book, with the plan that God has for our life. You know, how many times have you known that somebody should be doing something? You know they're gifted in this. You know they have an ability in something, whether it's, say, let's just say nursing, for example. They, they just have a great care for people. They could really comfort people. They can do well, and yet they're going to go into accounting. And you go, ah. That's really, uh, you, you can see they have a gift somewhere else, but they can't see it. They're headstrong. They've got their mind made up. They're going to do it their way. But if they were to stop, if they were to offer themselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord, see, then God could speak to them. Because it says in Romans 12, too, it says when we do this, then you know, we can, we can get into that second phase of the process where we're not being conformed to the world, but we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind that we might know, that we might be able to prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. See, a lot of times we're trying to figure out what the will of God is without becoming the living sacrifice. And we can't, we can't pick up on that. You know, sometimes we're going through situations, we're going through struggles. Even Paul, when he was going through his struggles with the thorn in the flesh, what did he say? I sought the Lord. I sought the Lord on this. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. See, Paul's calling right from the get-go was to suffer many things for the name of Jesus. That was his calling. And so his thorn in the flesh was basically the persecution that he had to deal with everywhere he went. You know, some people said, well, he had an illness, he had a foot disease, he had a blindness. He, you know, that wasn't it. The thorn in the flesh was his persecution. And see, part of the, the sacrifice, you know, like I said earlier, when they sacrificed an animal and they took out the guts and they took out the carcass, they had to take that outside the camp and burn it because that was a place of reproach. And so Paul, his, his calling as, as a priest unto the Lord, if you will, his calling is he had to be that sacrifice. He had to be the sacrifice that had to deal with a lot of persecution. You and I have been blessed because we live in a country where we haven't had to deal with that. 
We hadn't have to live under all of that approach and persecution. Now, we may get approach and persecution on a smaller level. But Paul was beaten and stoned and he just... <laughs> it's amazing all the things he went through. And you say to yourself, how could a man go through that? How could an individual go through that much pain and suffering and still be happy, still be joyous, and still go back for more? <laughs> he offered his body as a living sacrifice. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Paul was talking about the church in Macedonia. Macedonia in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 3 through 5 he says for I can testify that they again he's referring to the churches in Macedonia gave not only what they could afford but far more and they did it of their own free will they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem they even did more than we hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and then to us, just as God wanted them to. So here, they could have, out of excitement, to, to say, we want to be a part of Paul's ministry, or we want to help out the church in Jerusalem. We're going to go ahead and give. We're going to put together an offering, and we're going to give, and they could have done that just out of that emotion just out of that wanting to help. But they did something else first. They gave themselves to the Lord. Lord, what do you, what do you want? And then Paul said they went above, above and beyond their own ability. See, when we give ourselves to the Lord first in whatever it is that God wants us to do, we get out of our own strength, we get out of our own ability, we get out of our own resources and what we're doing, and we tap into God's ability, God's resources to do things. And a lot of times if we're, if we're, if we're not giving ourselves to the Lord, then we're stuck just looking at the little that we have. How can we do this? You know, when, when Jesus wanted to feed the 5,000, you know, the, the, what's the first thing that this, he told the disciples? Okay, you feed them. And they, what did they do? They started looking around. They said, well, we've got about uh, so much uh, money in our bag, which is, you know, a, a good amount, but it wasn't enough to buy food for everybody. And then they started thinking, well, we could try to tell the people to go home, but they'll never make it in time. They'll faint because they're, they haven't eaten anything. It's been three days or however long it was. So they're just looking at this whole thing naturally. And then one of them, just out of, probably out of happenstance, just said, well, we got a boy's lunch. <laughs> but what is that amongst so many? Well, Jesus said, okay, we got something to work with. Have everybody sit down. They started getting them all sitting down in groups of 50 and getting it ready. And what did Jesus do? He took the boy's lunch and he gave it to the Lord. He blessed it. And then he just, after he pulls a piece off and another piece grows. Pulls a piece off, another piece grows. But he first gave it to the Lord. He blessed it. See, a lot of times that's just what God is looking for. He puts us in these places where it's beyond our own ability. It's beyond what we can do. It's beyond what we can handle. And he knows that in our own ability, we can't do this. And yes, we say, well, it's a, it's a thing of faith. So, you know, somebody might, you know, try to pull up their faith boots and go, okay, I'm going to just start confessing and start believing. And, and I know I got to speak this. And I know I got to look at these scriptures. And I know I got to, you know, act this way or whatever. And they start doing that. And that's okay. But if they're not first giving themselves to the Lord. See, that's an important step. Even when we go through trials, James 1 talks about it. We count it all joy 
But if any of you lack wisdom, let them ask of God. Right in the midst of the trial, right in the midst of the temptation, the struggle, what are we supposed to do? Yes, we, have, we count it all joy. Yes, we, we praise God. Yes, we say whatever scripture it is. But there's this element of going to God and saying, God, I need some wisdom in this. What's going on here? What, what do I need to do? If there, is there anything I need to do? Is there anything I need to change? Is there anything I need to work on? Because it's in that giving ourselves to the Lord. It's in that, when that offering is being dissected, if you will, it's in that place where we come into an intimacy and a worship of God where then he can begin to break something down to us, cause us to see what is really the root problem here. Kind of like I was saying earlier. Maybe there is a curse that we've opened the door to that the enemy has been trying to lay on us and we've opened that door and now we've got to figure we've got to come to that and get that thing corrected and get that thing under the blood in order to go forward. I remember um, just going through a struggle raising three small children, working uh, working overtime. It was hard to find time to pray. It was hard to find study time. And so, you know, you go through your busy day, and it's like, oh, I'm tired, but I haven't had my devotion. Man, I just don't have the time. I just don't have time. I kept saying that. I don't have time. And so that day after day after day, that's what was happening. And one day God's just... I'm seeking the Lord, and God's like, well, you've, you've agreed you have no time. You've accepted that you have no time. So guess what? You don't have any time. But maybe you need to start believing for the time. Maybe instead of saying, I don't have time, maybe, God, you, there's time available somewhere here that I'm overlooking, that I'm not seeing, that I'm not tapping into. But see, if I keep saying I don't have time, guess what? Things are just going to keep popping up. See, there's a lot of things that we have available to us in our position, seated with Christ in heavenly places, that we don't have to put up with. But as we give ourselves to the Lord, as we give ourselves more and more in these areas, then it just seems like God can speak certain things. He can reveal certain things. He can open our understanding to certain things. So we are a living sacrifice. But praise God that he's made us holy and acceptable. And he has opened up, as it says in Hebrews 10, 19, it says that he has opened up this veil into the holy of holies. And as a living sacrifice, you know, the high priest, he was the only one that could go in there with that atonement sacrifice. He, nobody else could go in there, but he could go in there. But now we can go in there into this place. So this becoming a living sacrifice really is allowing us, it's really the opportunity that we have to just come and just be so open to God just to be so open and so real with him. You know, here, here Cain and Abel, right? Cain's, you know, he gives a sacrifice. God accepts it. Fire comes down. Cain, he comes in with his bushel of food, puts it on the altar, nothing. He's getting all frustrated. Man, God's all, God doesn't give respect for whatever I give him. It's like God isn't hearing my prayer. God isn't blessing me. God isn't, but he's blessing him. But he's not blessing me. And it really got to him so much that he killed his brother Abel. But just think if he would have gave himself. said, Lord, what, what's going on here? You know, I'm doing this, thinking I'm doing the right thing, thinking I'm being, you know, 
this is a blessing to you for me to do this, thinking this is going to be great, whatever it is. I mean, obviously, he had enough uh, respect and desire to be right with God. He was going through the process of giving a sacrifice. He was going through this whole ordeal because he wanted to be right with God. But it wasn't working. But if he would have gave himself, he would have just said, Lord, what is it that I need to do here? Well, the Lord could have brought him back. Remember when I instructed you? You have to give a living sacrifice. You have to animal sacrifice. This is how you come to me. This is how you come before my presence. You know, but there was something in his mind. Somewhere along the way, he came up with a really good idea. <laughs> that God likes fruits and vegetables. <laughs> God's fruitful. So he loves fruit. I don't know. But somewhere that got in his head, right? Somewhere in his thinking, that thought got into his head. And it controlled his actions. And it was, wasn't the truth. So he, had, he couldn't see. Even though it was right there in front of him, he couldn't see it. But so that's what happens when we, when we give ourselves to the Lord. We can kind of get past some of those, those mental blocks, those barriers that kind of keep us from being able to step over into certain areas or to be able to see certain things that God has provided for us. Praise God. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that you've given to us an open door to come into your presence. Lord, we thank you that we can come into the Holy of Holies, Lord, that we can offer our bodies as living sacrifices to you, Lord. Lord, that as we do that, Lord, that in that time there's, a, there's an exchange of worship. There's, a, there's a, a presence that you're releasing to us, Lord, that begins to speak to us, that begins to... Uh, release things to us, that begins to stir up things of you that you've given to us. It stirs those things up and causes them to come forth, come to the surface, come to the light. So, Lord, we thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that we'll just continue to do that. Lord, in every area, whatever area it is, Lord, that we just come to you and give ourselves to you, Lord that we offer our bodies to you, Lord, as a living sacrifice because you bought us, Lord. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You live in us, and we belong to you. So, Lord, we thank you that, that we don't own ourselves anymore, that you own us, but you're going to take good care of us. you got the best for us. So, Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Nick, for delivering the message tonight. Well, it's offering.